Good evening. Now, I'm not going to go into a long talk like I usually do, <laughs> but one week from now, it'll be three weeks, no, it'll be three years since I've had my stroke, and I'm here to tell you I'm still up and around, so <laughs> now I can't remember all your names, and I've lost some of my hearing and some of my eyesight, but we're still here. So tonight, I'm, I'm going to sing Jesus, Hold My Hand. As I travel through this pilgrim land, there is a friend who walks with me. Leads me safely through the sinking sand. It is the Christ of Calvary. This would be my prayer, dear Lord, each day to help me do the best I can. For I need thy light to guide me day and night. Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Jesus, hold my hand. I need thee every hour Through this pilgrim land Protect me by thy power Hear my plea, my feeble plea O Lord, look down on me When I kneel in prayer I hope to meet you there, blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Let me travel in the light divine that I may see the blessed way. Keep me that I may be wholly thine and sing redemption song someday. I will be a soldier brave and true and ever firmly take a stand as I onward go and daily meet the foe. Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Jesus, hold my hand. I need thee every hour through this pilgrim land protect me by thy power hear my plea oh my feeble plea oh Lord look down on me when I kneel in prayer I hope to meet you there blessed Jesus hold my hand when I wander through the valley dim to the setting of the sun. Jesus leads me safely to a land, to a land of... I'm so sorry. Let's do that again. When I wander through the valley dim to the setting of the sun, Jesus leads me safely to the land of rest if I a crown of life have won I have put my faith in thee dear Lord that I may reach the golden strand there's no other friend 
on whom I can depend. Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Jesus, hold my hand. I need thee every hour. Through this pilgrim land, protect me by thy power. Hear my plea, my feeble plea, oh Lord, look down on me when I kneel in prayer. I hope to meet you there, blessed Jesus, hold my hand when I kneel in prayer. I hope to meet you there, blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Man, wasn't that a blessing? You're dismissed. Amen. <laughs> Aren't you glad that sometimes when you don't know how to take the journey, God will grab you by the hand and say, Son, come with me. In some ways, I feel that way even on the message tonight, and I'm honored that you've come back to hear uh, the second part of the message, which I just barely got into this morning. And uh, truly, as we talk about this topic that probably has affected probably in the area of half of our church. And how do we deal with it? How do we as pastors deal with it? And uh, I know we've made some decisions here at Westside Baptist Church. And one uh, gentleman asked me at the end of the service this morning is, what about older people when they get married or they lose their spouses and, and uh, the situation that uh, on taking a uh, license might jeopardize uh, some financial aspects that they've worked all their lives for? What our concept and our policy here at Westside Baptist Church is that in the Bible... It was neither a legal or a government responsibility nor the church's responsibility to perform uh, marriages. So what we have today is a hodgepodge of putting together, uh, for civil reasons, a license. And so if a person decides to take a license uh, by the state, we don't discourage that, of course, because there are some protections both legally and, uh, and, and, and things like that as a part of it. But we believe that a marriage ought to be a covenant, all right? And so as a covenant, this too, whether there's a license or not involved, there is a covenant and a commitment that these two are coming together to be uh, united together. And so we, uh, some of our pastors might or might not perform a, just a covenant marriage, but that is one aspect here of Westside Baptist Church. Um, it was about the 11th, 12th century that the church, the Catholic church, got in the marriage business, if we could say that. All right. So it wasn't in, the, in any place in the Bible. You don't see pastors performing uh, marriages. And so about the 11th, 12th century, the Roman Catholic church got into it to uh, basically to sanctify the children and the blessings and those kinds of things. And then they also took it upon themselves to annul marriages. 
and that is still today that they can annul marriages and uh, to be married in a Catholic church. They both must be uh, Catholic to be married in the Catholic church, all right? So they've taken some concepts that they brought into the church, and then, if you can imagine, licenses uh, have just been since the 20th century, uh, primarily. Uh, 1920, about there, is about when licenses became more prevalent here in the United States. And the reason why, it, and just like, if I can just say this, in the Old Testament, in especially the, uh, the Pentateuch, or what they would call the Torah, the word Torah means law, Pentateuch means five books, uh, those books of Moses that he wrote were much of them from basically, I'm not sure, Exodus 20 through Numbers 12, someplace in there. That is the governess of or the constitution of Israel. And in there, it deals with the ceremonial laws, the moral laws and the civil laws. And so under a theocracy, those laws were given now. Let's not just throw away the law, okay? The law was there to be our schoolmaster, to show us principles, and truly God's morals laws will never change. Isn't that correct? But we do know that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the laws. So as I read this morning the laws of the Old Testament, understand that those were the civil structure that was established, and uh, God wanted the Israelites to follow it. And there's good principles there. There's high accountability to the priest. And we see that in that Old Testament there. And even reaffirmed in the New Testament. But as he gets into the passages of scriptures, there is a hardness of man's heart. And really the law is for sinners. And when we accept Jesus Christ as, your, as our Savior, we are truly under grace. But that doesn't do away with the law. Because the law will prick our conscience and show us the rights and wrongs of things. But you and I have the Holy Spirit inside of us to guide us. And so as I give some principles tonight, again, these are biblical principles in the various fashions and settings of the Bible. And we do so with maybe not a absolute conclusion that we'll come to tonight. Is that all right? Let every man be fully persuaded. In his own mind. Now, that doesn't mean every man does what's right in his own mind. We understand there's a difference. <laughs> and so it is that we really run into the muck today. Well, people say, well, that's your interpretation. But then people don't come and earnestly seek, God, what do you want me to do? And so I hope to give some, some uh, more guiding principles. And as I said... This morning, the greatest thing that we can do in this aspect of divorce and remarriage is get it right to start with. Amen? To really help our young people to understand what is love. I got to talk to Josh and Nathan and Daniel this morning. And I says, fellas, did you pay attention this morning? And they say, oh, we paid attention. Good. You don't want to be captured by the strange women. Young men and ladies, let me tell you, I have seen a many a young man give his heart to a woman or a girl uh, inappropriately. And I've seen them 
ooze out of themselves because of an inappropriate relationship and then they can't discover what's right and wrong because they've given their heart to another where it did not belong. You all understand what I'm saying? There's something about the intimate relationship that is to be for the bonds of marriage. And God knows what's best on that. So we are going to always defer back to God's original plan, even though he tolerates divorce and tolerates remarriage and those kinds of principles that's put in there. And Jesus Christ says it's because of the hardness of their hearts and all. But we want to give some more principles tonight as we get into this. But let me read to you this aspect of love. And I'm going to read it from a, a more modern translation. But First Corinthians 13, did anybody else read it this afternoon? Uh, Oh, good. My wife and I read it together and I wanted to take a test to see how I was doing. But I decided after I read the first few verses that maybe a test was not good at this time. All right. So chapter 13 of first Corinthians and verse one, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gifts of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And both Janie and I sat there as we read that. And we said, you know, it's not about how talented we are or how good looking we are or what we do. God says, if you don't do any of these things without love, there's no value to it. And that's why the two commandments that everything hangs upon is to love God and to love others. And can I just say this in ministry? And, you know, some we have such wonderful servants here at Westside Baptist Church. I thank the Lord for the servants. Keeping a heart for people is keeping a heart for the ministry because ministry is ministering to others. It's not about any accolades that we'll get. It's not about the rewards in heaven. It's not about anything but loving people and serving people is so rewarding and not loving ourselves. Loving ourselves is so empty. You all understand that is so empty and to recognize when we have self-love, especially in a marriage. So let me continue reading in verse four, which begins now the definition of love. Verse four says, love is patient. That's why I decided not to take any further on the test. All right. It's just right there. I will say this. I am growing in my patience. I thank the Lord for that. To resign ourselves from our agendas to be on time, God's time schedule is such an importance. Love is patient and it's kind. Ask yourself, men, ladies, those that are married, those that are going to get married. This is the kind of love that is an agape love because that's the word that's used here. Love is not jealous. One of the things that I discovered is when there's premarital relationships Oftentimes, jealousy comes in because there's a lack of trust. And I've encouraged to be a man that you should be. If you love someone, you are not going to violate them and vice versa. If someone loves you, they should be willing to abstain until that time of marriage. 
And I know passions can run high in our media and everything else is just opening up the floodgates to this. But love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Men, have you ever had to apologize to your wife because you just were rude to her? Or ladies, the same. This, by the way, is not... Uh, uh, just for men. But if I were to read it, I'm taking this to me because love is a one-way street and my relationship with others. It, uh, listen to what else it goes on. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. How well are you doing? And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoice whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Wow. I like that definition. It's more of a modern rendering of that, but uh, I hope that you remember that aspect of love. I appreciate what Carolyn said as a testimony, and you heard Wayne sing tonight. Wayne, thank you for that song. I appreciate it, and to think that when Wayne said that his hearing and his eyes, and I says, man, I haven't had a stroke, but that's happening to me. Maybe I'm precursor to a stroke or something there and everything. And I was thinking of everything else that we're losing uh, besides weight on all the things that are going on in our lives. But Carolyn, you made a comment when there was a time that was rocky in your relationship. And this is all right to share, is that correct? Because you've shared it publicly before. So I don't ever want to intend to embarrass someone. So as I bring this out tonight, know that, that Carolyn and I have, and, and Carolyn has shared this publicly before. But Carolyn made a comment that when their relationship was really on the rocks and heading for basically a divorce, I mean, there was a lot of struggles. And God got a hold of Carolyn's heart. And Carolyn, do you mind just, if I were to get this microphone right here, would you mind just sharing? I'm putting you on the spot. And you don't have to say it. I can say it for you, but I might get it wrong. Uh, but you remember what you said about what God shared on your heart about your relationship with your husband. Um, we went, Wayne and I, he, Wayne loved me when we got married, but I was not in love with him. But I thought that love would grow. And after several years, it didn't. And, you know, there's a real fine line between love and hate and Pretty quick, you don't you you give up on the love and and then there's dislike and then there becomes hate. We had a horrible marriage and we had two children and I would pray every day that Wayne would change and he wouldn't say these funny things that he gets a kick out of and embarrasses me and uh, he wouldn't be so loud and he wouldn't be such an A type of individual and. It, it just didn't, nothing changed, and I would, started resenting him more and more. And then uh, he st- started building a big building project in Medford, and he left every Monday morning, and he'd come home on Friday evenings. And um, when he would leave, I would pray, uh, got to the point where I actually, nobody's going to understand this unless you were in that position, but I prayed one time that God would take his life because I just 
I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I was taking medication, and I just couldn't take it any longer. And I, when I went into the bedroom, um, I knelt by the bed, and I don't know why I prayed this way, but I just said, God, please forgive me and make me the wife and the woman that Wayne needs. Mm. And that's when everything started to change. And uh, it wasn't an overnight thing. But when he came home the end of the week, I met him at the door. I had not done that before in many, many years. And he said, are you serious? And um, it just, uh, things have just just gotten better and better over the years. And I'm so grateful to God. I'm just so grateful that he didn't give up on either one of us, but especially me because I had such guilt because um, I knew that Wayne deserved more than what he was getting out of me. And um, then he got cancer, and I thought, well, maybe God was going to take him, and that was going to be my punishment for praying the way that I did. But there, again, God, in his love um, and compassion for us, uh, he had um, the surgery was all took care of the cancer, and so we're just happy as clams. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Isn't that precious? Thank you, Carolyn. You know, they say opposites attract. And oftentimes that is the case. Then after you're married, what attracted you to that person, because maybe it was a deficiency in your own characteristics, uh, all of a sudden becomes an annoyance. Do we all understand there's differences in our marriages? God put two together and those are to complement each other. There are four major reasons why people divorce. Differences is one of those. Finances is another. Sexual activity is another. And guess what the last one is? In-laws. Outlaws. In-laws. We'll say in-laws. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. If you have children that are married and everything, ponder that. Because when it says leave your parents and cleave together, that's so important. You know, my wife and I, we are different. In fact, when we first got married, uh, Janie was so quiet that I had to uh, ask her a question, then almost go on the other side to answer because she wouldn't even talk hardly. And uh, since we've gotten married, she has changed. But we still have a lot of differences. And yesterday I came home and I decided, you know, uh, I didn't buy my wife flowers for Valentine's. But I washed her car. All right, that's my love language. I put up blinds for her. I took her out to eat and and uh, did all those mechanical things, you know, that and everything. And and sometimes I feel bad because I might not be sharing with her her love values or her love language, such that she knows that I appreciate her. And I asked her today. I says, "Do you realize how much I value you?" And she said, "Yes." And that meant a lot to me. Because my wife has been a treasure for 30, almost 39 years. And I thank the Lord for that. But I washed her car yesterday. And I washed her car and my car. I figured you're getting out the hose practically. You might as well wash both of them. And I did it in five minutes. Now you can go out and look at them. You can probably tell it's a five-minute job. But I came in and and this is and this is something that happens in our relationships with one another. She uh, she kind of felt down 
She says, I wish I could wash the car in five minutes. It would take me at least 15 minutes to wash one car. And I said this to her, and men be aware of this, because sometimes our wives can feel down. They might feel insecure or inferior, or they see what you can do, and they wonder why they can't handle the computer like you can handle the computer, or things, or why can't he cook or clean up after himself? Why can't he put his socks where they belong? Or whatever it might be in the differences of our personalities and two people living in the same home. She had hemmed up my pants, and she did it in five minutes. And I says, honey, it would have taken me at least 15 minutes to hem up the pants, and I might not even have been able to get my leg through it if I'd done it that way. <laughs> so understand, if we can compliment, we are to compliment. But what happens so often is we find fault and we start nagging or we find things. And truly, we are there to sharpen each other. Uh, Mike uh, came out of the service today and Denise, and they were talking about something. And he asked me a question. And I said, you know what, Mike? It might be good to ask your wife that question because she'll shoot straight with you. We are a team. Praise God for it. And that's what we need to develop is the strength of the team and come to that concept. So when we get into this area of divorce, again, the bottom line is build your marriages and work at those things. And boy, if you need some counsel or whatever, don't hesitate and put aside some pride and say, you know, we've got some struggles. Every marriage is going to have some struggles. We are a team together trying to help each other. And so when we talk about this divorce and remarriage, it's not to put down. It's not to, 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 to look at our past and be discouraged by our past. We get up. The Bible says a just man falls. He gets up. But what uh, the, we need to understand on this is the twisted teaching that can be going on. And the Pharisees had a twisted uh, teaching on divorce. They basically said... You know what? You can divorce for any reason. By the way, you know, I, I am aghast. A, a what's the right word to use there? I am appalled at how our country uh, accepts Islam or Muslim religion when it is so degrading to women. Yet you never hear anybody talking about that. Do you know Christianity is what has elevated women and the Bible has elevated women in, in those aspects? Now, truly, there can be the abuse in the Bible and there's cultural things there. And that, that, that uh, when I went to Cameroon, boy, I tell you what, there's, there is such a difference the way men treat their wives in Cameroon. What's that now? Thank God for Jesus. But you know what? Here it is. Even though they get saved there in Cameroon and great churches, and because they don't have a culture that supports love and, and the intimacy of marriage, they, they don't really have a good role model there. And so missionaries are going there. And it's, it's a real cultural change. I don't know if you saw that in Peru or not, but we rarely saw a husband and wife together in Cameroon. It's an interesting thing. Islam... Basically, you know, when Muhammad brought in polygamy, he, because Islamic religion is a militant religion, no matter what anybody tells you, that's how it started. It's in the Quran. It's a part of the religion. And what Muhammad said is because the men are being killed in war, it's better for them that are alive to take more women because there's so many women that would be left without a husband if the men that didn't die in war didn't take them in. That's how they brought in polygamy and became a part of their religion. However, 
their law says, or if, if a man says, I don't love you, he says it three times, or I don't like you. Doesn't he have to say, I love you? I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like you. That is the public uh, uh, testimony of their divorce. And they would give them up and they would leave either the harem or whatever it is. And, and truly, there is a lot of polygamy in Muslimism, Muslimism, uh, whatever that might be. All right. So we've talked about now the uh, what the, the twisting of the divorce by the Pharisees and they uh, wanted to urge divorce. And we talked about the Catholic Church bringing it in and the ceremonies and things like that. And they were really trying to tempt Christ in this. And if we'll turn to uh, Matthew chapter 19, we're going to show because this was popular. You can imagine men say, hey, I don't like you and get rid of their wives. They almost Treated them as as cattle or property and uh, and all and there 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 was just just such a poor view of marriage at, that had come into uh, the culture. There's so much immorality in the Roman uh, government and things like that. And so the Lord's going to give now the true teaching about marriage and the tragedy. We call that now the tragedy of divorce. Here in Matthew 19, they wanted to find out. And they tested the Lord. So verse 3, if you'll read with me there, I'll read it through verse 12. The Pharisees came uh, to tempt him or to test him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And I said this morning that the word put away in our, uh, some of our other translations is that word for divorce. And there is a different word for the divorcement, which is a... Uh, is a document. And that we said that in uh, Deuteronomy where they were given a document that would be somewhat a protection to the woman that because there was, the, hey, we are, we are husband and wife, now she has a document that says, no, I am loosed from my husband. And that's what uh, this divorcement is. It's to loose. And that putting away comes from the, the Greek word luo, which is to loose. Uh, so to loose that bond, remember, this is the way marriage is supposed to be. But in that divorce or to put away, it's to break the bond. OK, now, so that's what they ask him for any reason. In verse four it says, and he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Don't you like that portion of scriptures? He is going right back to the beginning. This is before the law. This is God's intention of a male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave father and mother. And you can imagine the, that responsibility of leaving uh, that safety of the home and be glued to his wife. And they twain shall be... One flesh. See, he's reiterating from thousands of years. Has God changed his mind about what what marriage is all about? He hasn't. He's the one that designed it. Let's follow his plan. He has the best plan. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. Is that pretty clear? Very clear. 
Very clear. And there that responsibility of letting loose your wife or letting loose your husband. And we'll give you more ideas of this as we get into First Corinthians. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writ of divorcement and to put her away? Verse eight, he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning... It was not so. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Then he goes on in verse 9. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away, loose, break the bond of his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, those are interesting words there. And... Uh, where really the argument comes into this. You'll find that this clause, this exception clause, is only in Matthew, not in Luke or Mark. There's not the exception clause in Luke and Mark. It's in Matthew. Now, understand the Old Testament. If a woman went out or a man went out and committed adultery, would divorce be the answer in the Old Testament? Yes or no? No. What would be the answer? Stoning. Remember the woman taken in adultery? They wanted her stoned right there. That's an interesting concept of God's mercy and grace. Would you not agree? Remember what he told the people who wanted to stone her? You that are without sin, cast the first stone. He was writing on the ground there. He looked up and it was gone. I can't imagine how convicting those words were to those people. And he says, where are those that accuse you? They've all left, she said. And he tells her, neither do I. Go out and what? Sin no more. A principle there. Even though there's failures in our past and struggles in our past, when we make decisions, go from that day forward on. Would it have been better not to have done things? Absolutely. As we talked about this morning. But uh, as we go into this section here, notice what the disciple says. His disciples say unto him, if this is the case of a man, be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. Boy, that's real spiritual. These are his 12 disciples. You know what they're saying? Man, if we can't get rid of her, why should we get married? It'd be better not to marry. How many think that's a good direction? And these are the 12 leaders of the church. By the way, they come up with Lulu's now and then, don't they? Notice what Jesus said. But he said unto them, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. Now, understand. He's not, the disciples aren't saying, well, we better not get married and go just shack up with somebody. That's not what they're saying. They're just saying, let's just leave it alone. Because what he goes on in here to describe is this act of sexual activity. And he says that not all men can be what he says in verse 12. Some are eunuchs, which were so born from their mother's womb. And there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. In other words, they were castrated, if you use that terminology. And I'm glad our children are gone for some of this language might be more than what we should be given from the pulpit and to their ears to hear. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. 
He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that it says, It is better to marry than to burn. And there, Paul is saying, you know what? You ought to be like me, which at that time, Paul was unmarried. There's a concept or thoughts out there that when Paul got saved, his wife might have left him. And now uh, he has remade, remained married. And he's saying there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, you know, when you get married, you've got to care for your wife. He says, if you're unmarried, you can just serve the Lord day and night. And then he says about the troubles of the times that they're living in and the hardships that they were going to go through. And he says, you know what? It'd be better to remain unmarried. But if you can't remain unmarried and you've got passions inside that need to be solved, the only way that you can take care of those passions is by getting married. We all understand that. That's these concepts here that are brought out in in this portion of Scripture. So the Lord's teaching on marriage is very, very clear, I think, that's brought out here. Now, as we talked about, uh, let's go on to Malachi, uh, back again in the Old Testament. Again, some ideas of what marriage is. Yet, ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. In other words, there was still this hardness of heart that was going on. And this is the last book of the Old Testament. And the Jews were still having this hard heart. And they're dealing with their wives inappropriately. He says, yet is she thy companion. How come you're treating your wives inappropriately? And then he says, and she is the wife of thy what? Covenant. See, that's what we believe in a covenant Marriage. You make a commitment till death do you part. And the Bible says it's better not to make a vow than to break a vow. Do we find people just entering into those words lightly today? You say till death do us part. Well, as Carolyn, she says, man, I wish my husband would die. <laughs> you know, and maybe that's something times that enters into our minds. How sad that it can come to that. But isn't it wonderful how God's grace can come in and restore the right relationship? And oftentimes, it is starting with you. Oftentimes, it's starting with you. You know, so often, marriages, they start pointing the finger at the other person. We are so much in the habit of accusing and finding fault with others. It started right there in the Garden of Eden. Here, Adam and Eve were married, and after they'd sinned, Adam said, well, it's the wife you gave me. It's not my fault. It's your fault, God. And then the wife says, well, it's the serpent. And the serpent looked around. There was nobody else there to blame. I need to continue working on me. You know, and how wonderful. I thank you for sharing that testament. Wasn't that a blessing tonight? really is. Let's go. Did we go to verse 15? I don't think. And did not... He make one, a covenant, yet had he the residue of the spirit and wherefore one, talking about God making a covenant, uh, I think here, and wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed, talking about Israel and understanding this in the Old Testament and the seed of Israel was so crucial in that, uh, that part there. And so it is uh, our heritage that we're passing on and what we're giving to our children is so important. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. 
We, um, Janie and I were talking today a little bit about when we perform marriages here, Pastor Nathan, that it might be good to have a couple sit down with Wayne and Carolyn or uh, 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 Chuck and uh, Barbara or George and uh, Mary or, or, you know what, it might be good, especially if you don't have a good foundation from your own home to see and listen to some of these people of their their treasures that they've learned. By the way, there's wisdom in the gray hair or what the Bible says, the hoary head. Verse 16, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hath put away for one covereth violence with his garments, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. He's given the responsibility to the men to take care of things in their home. By the way, you know, we say that men are to be the leaders of their home. Start leading in the appropriate way. Take care of the spirit of your own so that you can lead appropriately. Grow your faith. Grow your family. What a blessing to have family. Amen to that. The responsibility that God has given to you to have children and to raise those children and to nurture them in the admonition of the Lord. Jeremiah, though, listen to what it says here. Uh, And I saw when for all the causes thereby backsliding Israel committed what? Adultery. I had put her away. Guess what God did to Israel? He divorced Israel. He divorced Israel. Because Israel went a-whoring after other gods. And I gave her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Now, the Bible says that God hates divorce. Isn't that right? But what we find is the putting away, that God put away Israel and divorced them because they had committed harlotry of other gods. So we see this as even the love of God uh, putting away his wife of the Old Testament. Now, I don't believe God has ever remarried. Do you? Uh, we, uh, we, we won't go into all the speculations of that. We do know that we are the bride of Christ, though, aren't we? And that someday there's going to be a, a marriage. And, and that's why God says to us today, don't join with ungodly things. Don't join. You're a part of this bridegroom of Christ and, and, and stay uh, that purity in the relationship there. All right. So these are some of the principles of the Old Testament, some of the principles of the New Testament. The tragedy of the divorce is that sometimes this fornication comes in. Sometimes there's this adultery. It does not mean that there has to be a divorce. I think the book of Hosea is put in the scriptures to help us to understand the mercy and grace of God. You all know the story of Hosea? The book of Hosea was about his wife going out and God telling him to marry her. and She became a harlot and she prostituted herself over and over again. And, and Hosea goes and he goes and he buys her off the slave market and brings her back and brings her back and brings her back. By the way, is God going to bring back Israel someday? Amen. Amen. That's something to consider in this aspect of remarriage and all that, that the, the guilty person might be restored because of grace and mercy. 
So divorce is breaking this bond. And uh, let's turn over now to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I need to run to a close here as we're going to need to finish up tonight. So um, I love how 1 Corinthians 7 starts. And, and, and 1 Corinthians 7, you ought to under, remember where this passage is. Let me see. Do I have it up here? Malachi. Let's see. Let's go on. Yeah, there you go. I've got it up on the screen, too. But b- before we get there, there's some great parts here in the first part. And, and I think uh, Paul is giving instruction to a very carnal church. He says, uh, let's start with verse 1. So we get in context. I would encourage you to go home and read the entire chapter. You can read it in different translations. You can look it up in the commentaries. You can study some of the words. Now concerning the things whereof we wrote unto you, uh, unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Yes or no? Yes. And that's talking about the sexual activity. As I've already said, I've seen many of a soul of a man be given over in because of premarital wrong actions. He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husbands. Now, because this is a mixed crowd, I won't go into the details of that. But would you ponder what it just said there? You render each to each other the particular physical needs in the marriage relationship. The Bible says in verse 4, The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent. Y'all catching what he's saying here? Shake your heads yes if you understand what he's saying here. Okay. Uh, and, and for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again in that relationship, lest Satan tempt you uh, not for your incon- inconsistency. Interesting. Now, can I just say this? I had a pastor friend that was dealing with a relationship in a church and one of his members went out and committed adultery. And the pastor friend of mine, which you would know, Margaret, he said to me, he says, you know, it probably was the fact that the wife was not intimate with him. That sounds like Genesis 3. Excuse. Is there any excuse? And when he said that, Margaret, a red flag went up. I says, you don't, that's... You don't even calculate that. But yet there are men who will calculate that way. Well, because I'm not having this intimacy in my home, I'm going to go outside. And it's wrong, wrong, wrong. That pastor committed adultery himself and destroyed a church. Isn't that right, Margaret? And there are lives scattered all over. There are no excuses. Don't let the devil sell you a lie. 
So here we see this part of marriage. Uh, for I would that every man were beat by myself, but every man uh, does not have that proper gift of God and that's a man. You know, Paul was able to live a celibate life. But there's a lot of people that aren't able to live that celibate life. He says in verse 8, I say therefore to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now we get into verse 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. Don't put away your husband. Don't put away your wife. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. You see, that's the godly act of what uh, you could say uh, on this aspect of being remarried. And let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. And, and I'm sure this is under inspiration, but Paul is given advice here. And listen to this advice. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And so what we find now here is this, this admonition, stay together. And yet people say, well, we're not happy. It's not about happy. It's about growing your life and whatever it might be. And listen, I'm, I'm saved and I want to serve the Lord, but my wife is not saved or my husband's not saved. I want to get out of this relationship. God says, if, you, if he is willing to dwell with you, stay together. But now I want you to notice something here that's being brought out. Uh, he says, And the woman which hath an husband and dwelleth not, uh, believeth not, excuse me, dwelleth together, let, let, them, uh, let her not leave him. Verse 14. And the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. You might want to write First Peter uh, 3, uh, 1 through 7 here in this passage. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean. But how are they holy? We could preach a whole message on that. But if the unbelieving depart, all right, you're saved, and the unbelieving depart, a brother or a sister is not under, what's that next word? Bondage. Interesting word. They're not under bondage. And so, if I were to say, what you'll discover in this passage and also in Matthew 19 is that there is a guilty party. Both of them can be guilty or one of them guilty. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I believe, comes up with a good rendering here. The guilty party can be the one who commits adultery. And the bond is broke because the adultery can break that bond. It doesn't have to break that bond. But the guilty party who committed adultery is guilty. The bond has been broken. In this passage, what we find is the guilty party is the person who leaves. You see that? It's the person who leaves. And when he says you're not under bondage, the bond has been broken. 
So now comes the interpretation, can they get remarried? All right? So here a guilty person leaves. Can the innocent person get remarried? There are good people who believe you can. And there are good people who believe you can't. Can I just say to you, you need to understand what God wants you to do in this situation. All right? I'm just going to leave it there. How's that sound? Is that, is that copping out, Mike? <laughs> just a little bit copping out. But what, what I discover in, in this study of mine is it seems, if I were to lean one way, is it's probably better to remain unmarried. But if you can't in this passage, it would give indication that you could go back and get remarried. Okay, that would be my, my understanding, but I'm going to tell you that's, that's my thoughts. Can I just say that? And oftentimes, I don't like to just share my thoughts on that. But the bond has been broken. All right? Any questions on this? <laughs> you say, well, Pastor, you haven't answered all my questions. What about if we weren't saved and we got married and there was a divorce and all these kinds of things? Can I just leave us with maybe... Uh, I had a couple questions to hear and our time has gone. And thank you for staying with me as best you can here. But uh, I do believe that there is some indications and, and, and indicating that the innocence of, of that you're no longer in that bond. And the Lord did recognize multiple husbands at one at a time. Is that not correct? He said to the woman at the well, you've had five husbands. So it wasn't like the idea where you had one husband and everybody else that you got hooked up with wasn't your husband. That's not what he's saying there. He says, no, when you got remarried, you had another husband. When you got remarried, you got another husband. And when you got remarried, you got another husband. And, and you know what? That story is in the Bible to show us God's mercy and grace because Jesus says there in John chapter 4, he says, I must needs go to Samaria because he had an appointment with this woman who realized that she was a sinner, such a notorious sinner that she probably had to draw water all by herself because she had a reputation. And Jesus comes to rescue her soul. Isn't that the grace of God? Grace of God. Let me just give you the story of David. You know, you can tell the Bible's not written by man because if I was writing the story, I wouldn't put in all my faults. How about you? I've been reading about Moses. It's been so encouraging me as Moses writes about his own failures. He records them. We know the story of David, don't we? He committed adultery and murder. And uh, in there, Second Samuel Chapter 12. You all know the story when Nathan comes to David. It's an interesting story. Possibly, what would they think, Pastor Nathan? Five years, two years? A period of time had passed since David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he's going along and everything. And finally, Nathan comes and tells a story about this rich man who takes a ewe lamb from a poor man who had just that one lamb that he loved so much. David gets irate. Y'all remember that story? He says, how could he do such, such a thing? And Nathan says, you're the man. You're the man. Let me just read you in Second Samuel. 
David comes to terms finally with his adultery. And if I could just say that, if you ask God to forgive you of your past, will he forgive you of your past? Yes. Does that mean that every consequence of those decisions will be forgiven? No. A couple days ago, it was, we had our ice maker go out of our ice machine. Isn't that sad? I know you're really sad. And I finally discovered how to fix it. But when I fixed it, I put the ice machine in and it didn't catch the tube. And so it spewed out on my wife's new floor while she was gone on vacation. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know what water does to laminate floors? Well, I got it cleaned up and I know you were back, weren't you? I think you were back. Just got back. Nice to come home to a mess like that. And then I hooked up the line and I thought within myself, you know, I should put a new grommet. You know how they got the copper tube? You put that little round donut in there and you squeeze it down. Well, I saw the technician that had come out there to fix it. He squeezed it down real hard. And in my mind, I said, you know what? You don't want to do that too many times or else you'll ruin the seal. Isn't that right, brother? And I knew that. But I was thinking, I'll just tighten it a little bit tighter. Now when you walk on our new laminate floors, swelled up. Now, I'm thankful that that's all that happened. But every time I step on that floor, I'm reminded of my stupidity. Here David, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, it says David's anger was greatly against uh, uh, that, that situation. And the Lord liveth that man that doth these things. He should be put to death. Can you imagine David said that? And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah, and it has been... It has uh, been too little. I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore thou hast, uh, hast thou despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and has taken his wife to be thy wife. And has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, for, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbors, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do these things before all Israel and before the sun. And did those things happen to David? They did. But the next verse says, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned. 
against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Do you know what, my friends? Coming to that place where we can acknowledge our past and getting forgiveness. It might not undo the creaky floor that I'll have to walk on now for years to come, or it might not undo the effects that it has on your children. I think there are many here that have broken hearts, including my own. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, listen to this, in that same verse, said to David, The Lord hath put away thy sins, thou shalt not die. And when you get into the New Testament, he is called the king after God's own heart. God knows our failures. He knows our infirmities. But can I just say this? There were consequences for his choices. The child that Bathsheba had, what happened to that child? It died. It died. But there was another child born after that. And what was his name? Solomon. Solomon. Aren't you glad that there's more than one chapter in the Bible? And there's more than one chapter in our lives. Let's be committed to where we are and go forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got a conclusion here and how we conclude God's purpose for marriage. Young people and older people, let's remember God's purpose for marriage. Let's remember that the hardness of man's heart can bring tragedies. The tragedy of divorce. Stay married. Remain married. And, and, and follow God's principles of grace and make the very best where you are at this time in your life. Father, I thank you for the extra minutes that we've taken. I thank you for the dear folks here and their graciousness to allow me to speak a little longer tonight. But, Lord, to, to come to terms with, uh, and there's so many more things that could have been said tonight, but yet our time's gone. May enough have been said that we understand that you do hate divorce and that it is your intention to keep ourselves pure and to have that one flesh relationship after marriage. And, Lord, the unity and, and the bond, the bond, the bond, build the bonds of our marriages. Lord, I believe that you can restore, just like you did with David. David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And we see this psalmist writing songs before he committed adultery. And we also see him writing songs after he committed adultery. And as we go through the archives of history, we discover men who were greatly used to the Lord, even though there were tragedies and difficulties and struggles. But if any one of them were to stand here before us, they would all admit it would have been better never to have done the wrong in the first place. So God, help us to be determined to do what's right. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.